we've got a computer in our hands overwhelming us with the information. I don't know if I'd want to be a kid today because I'm going, my God, no wonder anxiety levels are so high. It's not that it's all bad news, although there is a lot of bad news. It's there's too much. I cannot care about that many things and that many people all at once. So I think we're going to have to make sure that the uh, smartphone is a servant, not a master. Golly, do I want you to listen to this episode. Guys, Dr. Tim Elmore is the real deal. It is an honor that I was able to have him on the show. John Maxwell is arguably the number one leadership guy basically ever. And Tim Elmore is one of his main thought leaders, which is a really, really big deal. So his passion for leadership development began in 1983 when he worked alongside and was mentored by bestselling author, Dr. John C. Maxwell. Um, since then, he's emerged as an author, leadership expert, and keynote speaker who's trained more than 500,000 leaders in hundreds of organizations worldwide. He's also the founder and CEO of Growing Leaders, a nonprofit team that equips students and young professionals around the world to become life-giving leaders. He's an expert on um, Gen Z and millennials, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. And I won't share too much about this, but this podcast is going to be making a slight shift um, that I think we'll be talking a little bit about what he and I are talking about today. So I know that you're going to love this. Stay tuned for the entire thing. It's time for you and me to wake up and lead. So I've had a lot of guests on this podcast that I'm really excited about, but this one today I'm extra excited about. For many reasons, one of them is the fact that he's written more books than years that I've been alive. And so I think we have a lot of wisdom to get from him today. Dr. Tim Elmore, welcome to the show. Hampton, it's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. So over the last probably year or so, I've been learning just a little bit about generational gaps and everything of that nature. And I first want to hit you with the question, is there like do people have different opinions between a millennial and Gen Z, like what the actual cutoff is? Because from the research I found being born in 1997, some people are saying I'm a zillennial or, or like a cusper. I'm trying to figure out what, what am I? <laughs> yeah. Well, there is a slight disagreement uh, among social scientists on when generations begin and end. And the reason for that is the markers that end a generation and begin a generation are sometimes a little fuzzy. For instance, the baby boomers, which we've all heard about for five decades now, started at the end of World War II when the soldiers came home and couples were married. There was a boom of babies. This is a biology lesson now. Uh, and that ended with the dawn of the birth control pill. So the boom <laughs> was 1946 to 1964. Makes sense? So yeah. um, Gen Z, some believe it starts in 1996. Some believe it starts in 99. Some... 2001, some 2003, um, you are what some social scientists call, Hampton, a tweener. If you're five years at the end of one generation or five years at the beginning of another, you're going to probably adopt characteristics of both a millennial and Gen Z. And I bet there's a lot of your listeners right now going, yeah, that's me. I'm the late 90s or I'm early 2000s and I'm kind of both. And, and there's that's I'm that way with Gen X and Boomer. So um, I'm, I clearly, most of my life was a Gen X type of life, but I was technically born in the window of the baby boom. Okay. Okay. That's a great explanation. And I think what I've noticed and the reason I feel sort of in between is because a lot of the millennials I know, some of the, the stereotypes and everything, I don't wow. feel like I fully fit into that. But then yeah. 
I guess the way I'll put it is my first phone was a flip phone. And so it wasn't yeah. like I was eight years old scrolling on the iPad. But soon after that, I got the iPad and Snapchat and all that stuff. Yeah. But I would say as early as um, uh, people that are three or so years younger than me, that's where I really started to see the increase in extensive technology. And I'm not trying to bash on anybody, but it's – it's. I feel like I'm kind of in between. So me and my wife debate a lot. Like, am I a millennial? Am I a Gen Z? Yes. But <laughs> yeah, you can say, honey, I'm a tweener. Well, you know, it's interesting. The millennials grew up with a cell phone, which was a bit of a game changer. Gen Z grew up with a smartphone, which was even more of a great game changer. We've got a computer in our hands, overwhelming us with the information. I don't know if I'd want to be a kid today because I'm going. My God, no wonder anxiety levels are so high. It's not that it's all bad news, although there is a lot of bad news. It's there's too much. I cannot care about that many things and that many people all at once. So mm -hmm. I think we're going to have to make sure that the uh, smartphone is a servant, not a master. By the way, have you ever heard this phrase, Hampton? I love this phrase. Uh, when our phones had leashes, we were free. Now our phones are free and we have leashes. <laughs> I feel that like is that. so true. Yeah, it so. really is. And and even I think it's funny because I was talking to um, my mom. She's probably listening to this at, at one point. And I, I feel like when the iPhones and everything started coming out, it's like, oh, kids are on their phone all the time. But now even as adults, it's like, I mean, she, uh, mom, I, I love you. I think you have good boundaries. But like maybe even she spends a lot of time like yeah. we're all getting sucked into it at this point. And I think we need to talk about it more. <laughs> oh, you're absolutely right. In fact, some of the saddest comments I have heard in a focus group of high school students or middle school students or even college students, uh, one middle school young gal said, I never talked to my mom. And I said, why? She goes, I get home from school. She's on Facebook. And then when she's cooking dinner, she's on her phone. And it's the mom and the daughter's longing to have a face-to-face -face conversation and I'm going, Mom, this is your chance. you got a window here, and it's a really short window. Yeah. Take advantage of it. So listeners, well, I don't know what age you are, but I would say let's seize the day. Let's be in the moment and present with the people in front of us. Um, yeah. I, I. And by the way, I would say that to a retailer. If I walk into your store, I took the time and effort to be there. Don't take a phone call. I've got money. <laughs> I want to give this money to you. <laughs> you know, or honor me with, with your presence because I've given you my presence. So anyway. yeah, absolutely. Well, that a lot of, a lot of what you're sharing makes me think of a, um, a, a talk that you gave recently and, um, I, I'm sure you remember it, but I don't want to put you on the spot fully. I've got written down in case you need help, but, uh, um, do you want to tell us a little bit about the, I can't remember what it was called the, our world is full of, and consequently we can assume it's, well, I call it our scene today. Okay. So I've taken the word scene, S-C-E-N-E, and listeners, what I, what I do, if you can do this in your minds, if you're driving, don't write it down while you're driving, but it's two columns, and on the left-hand column are five words that spell the word scene, S-C-E-N-E. On the right-hand column are the unattended consequences of that scenario, what we didn't see coming in our culture today. And so um, real quick, the letter S in scene, our world today is full of speed. We love speed. We want high-speed high internet access and nothing less. You know, we want a microwave, not a crock pot, you know, blah, 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 blah. But think about it. If I'm young and I've grown up in a world of speed, that's all I've ever known, it's so easy to conclude that slow is bad. I don't like slow. 
And I would say, I don't even like slow and I'm not 21 years old. But again, you, you and I both know some things are slow. Quality things like good marriages that form and good friendships and good jobs, they're, in, they're a crockpot, not a microwave. Uh, the letter C, our world today is full of convenience. And don't we all love the modern day conveniences we enjoy? I wouldn't want to be without them. But if I'm growing up today in a world of convenience, it's easy to assume that hard is bad. And I don't know if on the video you saw, uh, I said this, uh, Hampton, but uh, the, the number one phrase that K-12 students say to teachers today is, this is too hard. They're weighing in, telling their teacher, this is too hard. And I'm going, you can't weigh in. We've been doing this math equation for decades now. You, you can do it too. But we're used to quick click, you know? Okay, so the letter E, I think everybody would agree, our world today is full of entertainment. And by the way, now we don't have to go home to watch a screen. It's in our hands. In fact, let's all face it. If we got five minutes to wait in line somewhere, aren't we pull out that smartphone, looking at ESPN, email, whatever. We want that stimulation. We don't want to be bored. And that's it. The unintended consequences, if I grow up in a world of entertainment, I can think boring is bad. Now, I would agree most people think boring is bad. In fact, when I was a teenager, I thought boring was bad. But do you know what we know today that we didn't know when I was a teenager? Neuroscientists tell us today that our brains actually need boredom. They say it's in times of boredom that we develop creativity and empathy. And some of those virtues are timeless. We need them. In fact, think about the opposite. If I'm growing up in a world of noise and clutter and stimulation all the time coming at me, I got my headphones on or whatever, I'm not thinking about anybody else. I'm trying to get through the day. I'm just consumed with me. So again, not so good. The letter N in scene, certainly this isn't everywhere, but um, certainly in middle-class America, our world today is full of nurture. So the message we have given the emerging generation is safety. Safety first. We even use that phrase, safety first. We we put helmets on our kid when they ride their bikes. We seatbelt them in. I, Hampton, I grew up at a time, we'd go to Indiana to see my grandpa. We'd ride in the back of the pickup truck, and we'd say, hit the bumps, hit the bumps. You know what I mean? It, we were flying everywhere, man. Now, that would be, my grandpa would be arrested today, you know, or stopped at least by a police officer if he saw kids in the back seat. Okay, so we live in a world of nurture, all well-intended, but... Think about it. Think about the unintended message that sends to the next generation, our children, our, our grandchildren, whatever. Risk is bad. And I, I just would want to remind everybody listening, our whole country was built on risk. Mm. We were an experiment in 1776. We said, let's see if we can start something here. And we did. Now, is it perfect? Of course not. But it was a great country. And I think still the best country in the world. But the point is, if we have a safety first, don't take a risk, don't fail. You know, I have FOMO and FOMU. Have you heard the term FOMU? I heard you say it in the speech, but I can't remember what it is. Tell okay. us. So we all know FOMO, fear of missing out. I'm hearing high school students talk about FOMU, F-O-M-U, fear of messing up. Mm. So sometimes we're so afraid of making a mistake because it's going to go on the transcript or it's going to be on my record or it's going to be shot and posted on YouTube, you know. We don't even want to try some things because, and I'm going, we need to be risk takers, calculated, not reckless, but calculated risk takers. And then the last letter E, sorry, this is going so long here. No, no, no. Is um, our world today is full of entitlement. We feel entitled to perks and benefits, 
just because we're here. Uh, and, and in past generations, those were earned through perhaps hard work or some kind of work ethic. We now feel like, uh, you know, this should be part of my scholarship. This should be part of the deal. And again, if I grow up, and by the way, I'm not blaming kids for this. I'm, in fact, <laughs> the adults, raised, we made the world the kids are growing up in. So this is our deal. You know, we need to look in the mirror and say, what did I not do right here? But if I grow up in a world of entitlement, it's easy to assume that labor is bad, meaning I shouldn't have to work for this. And um, the big epiphany for me when I first scribbled this out on a napkin at a restaurant was this. If you think about those unintended consequences, slow, hard, boring, risk, and labor, aren't those the very elements that grow me into a good person, a good adult, a good man, a good husband, a good father, a good leader? Of course it is. When I've got to struggle just a little bit and it doesn't come right away and it's hard. Oh, my gosh. So we work with a number of um, NCAA Division I sports teams across the country and uh, helping them interpret the next generation and lead them well. So these coaches, uh, there are great coaches, like I'll just say top 10 Division I coaches that are using our scene today that I just gave you, and they're teaching their players to say, slow is good, hard is good. You know, and I'm going, oh, my gosh, no wonder you're so, you're so good on Saturdays on the football field. You're countercultural to our world today. And I, I love to hear that the coaches are, are doing that now because I think if you're a parent listening to this, please start with your children at a younger age. But I think a lot of times, um, whether it's an organization that's hiring this new generation or it's a coach that has athletes coming in, it's like, well, the parents messed up. Like, it's over now. But I, I know there's so much opportunity there. There's um, someone I work with, Maggie Ballone. She's actually an Olympian, but she threw javelin at, um, Texas A&M, and she talks to a lot of college coaches, and she's – I'm going to need to introduce them to uh, to growing leaders, to seeing, uh, because she said that a lot of these coaches are just – that they – even the, the, some of the best athletes are – they're incredibly talented, but when things get hard, they quit or now go in the transfer por portal, right. you know? Yeah, it's so true. Yeah, it happens all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, going through going through scene, uh, going through your learnings. Um, I don't know if your answer to this would be some of the things you did with your daughter growing up that later on in the speech you you talked about. Or I mean, what do we what do we do about this? I feel like there's to the listeners there's uh, you know maybe you're a Gen Z and you're yeah, seeing yeah. this. So what do I do? Or you're a parent and you still have a chance with your kids. I mean. What do we do about this? Yeah, it's a great question. And I think that's actually the $64,000 question. What do we do? <laughs> realize we're, we're in this, not a mess, but it's just a, a less than optimal scenario that we got ambushed by. I think all the technology, the artificial intelligence, it's all wonderful. We wouldn't want to throw it away, but we were ambushed by what it did to us and our minds, our wills, and our emotion. So here's what I would say. As simple as this sounds, step one is to is to is to talk over this scene today. I don't mind if you're listening and you just wrote it down, steal it, whatever. But um, I would actually talk to athletes. I would talk to students in high school. I would talk to young employees, and we would talk about it. And it's not I got this right, you got this wrong. We are in this scene today, so that suddenly puts uh, puts us on level ground. Now, now that we're aware of it, I would often say. 
let's brainstorm together what we could do. And so I'm not just intruding or prescribing to these young whippersnappers what they need to do. I'm, I'm saying, let's talk together. A lot of times, young adults will come up with a better idea to be countercultural than I will. Um, however, let me throw out some ideas. Um, so I have a great friend, David, who has a young son, same age as my son. They're both young men. Our sons are. I'm not a young man. I wish I was, but I'm not. Uh, but anyway, Nick, this was years ago. Nick wanted the latest iteration of the iPod. You remember iPods when they were the thing? Okay. So the latest one had just come out. It stored more songs. It was awesome. It was amazing. They went into the Apple store and Nick goes, dad, this is the last one they've got. I got to have this. And David, as a good dad said, well, son, how much money you got? Nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> you know, so I, I, but can you get it for me? And David very wisely thought, I love my son and I want him to have this and I've got the money. But I also know if I just give it to him, there's no development, no growth, no, you know, he doesn't learn how life is. You can't go to your boss. Can I just have a paycheck without working, you know? So here's what David did that I thought was so wise. He said, Nick, I'm going to buy this. So we're going to secure it, but I'm buying it. I'm going to put it up and away and you're going to pay monthly installments until you pay it off but you know it's going to be yours, but I'd like you to work for it. I'd like you to make these payments. David told me recently, well, he told me after Nick paid it off, Nick was so excited about it because it was his earned, not just mm. given. And Nick had built up the, I got to save some money. I got to, you know, earn it, save it, you know, invest it. So anyway, there were lots of lessons that were countercultural to, well, it's less of a fight if I just give it to my kid, you know, and whatever. So I don't know who you are, listener. I don't know how, I don't know if you're the younger or the older, but I feel like we've got to recapture some of the timeless, maybe values and virtues. They're not antiquated, they're timeless. There are some things that are antiquated, you know. Uh, back in the day when women couldn't vote, that wasn't a good thing. We, 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 we need men and women voting yeah. today. That's antiquated, but there's some timeless things from a hundred years ago, like discipline, honesty, integrity. We would all go, yeah, I want that on my team, you know? And that's what we need to recapture and say, all right, what muscles do we need to build now that put us in the fitness center emotionally, intellectually, physically, dare I say spiritually, that get us to the place where we've got a whole new generation of really healthy leaders not necessarily the leaders we see right now in Washington, D.C., that we go, how did you get in office, you know? I'm sorry, I'm making a political comment, but it's like, no wonder we're not wanting to vote. for we, We've grown up in this world where we just took shortcuts, and shortcuts don't pay off in the long run. So anyway, mm. I'll start ranting and raving there. No, that's really good. I feel like there's this – I recently read Angela Duckworth's book, Grit. Yeah. Grit. And yeah. I think she does a great job of talking about when it comes to parenting or leading, um, kind of having that balance of, of truth and, and love at the same yeah. time. It's like, I'm going to buy you the, the iPod so, yeah. so you can have it. I'm going to help you, but I'm also not going to do a disservice to you by just giving it to you, um, which I think yeah. is a great, yeah, that's it. Um, I totally agree. Can I real quick volley back on that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Angela Duckworth, I think her book on grit and the grit scale she's developed is really powerful. We teach leadership and life with images. We call them habitudes. 
habitudes or images that form leadership habits and attitudes. One of the images that teaches what you just said, Hampton, is the velvet covered brick, the velvet covered brick. So good leadership is both and not either or. It's grace and truth. It's, it's responsive and demanding. So I believe every team member, if you're a leader on a team, every child, if you're a parent in a home, every athlete, if you're a coach on a team, needs responsiveness and demandingness from you. Responsive basically says, I accept you. I get you. I've got your back. I understand you. And I really believe in you. Would that every team member in America have a, a leader that said, I'm responsive to you. But that's, that's only half the equation. They also need demanding because most people won't live up to their potential without someone pulling them up. We don't sit on a couch eating Cheetos all day and get better. We just don't, you know. So the coach says, because I believe in you, I'm not going to dilute this standard we've got because it seems hard on Tuesday. We're going to do it. I see it in you. So here's some really cool day. I'm sorry I'm monopolizing this conversation, but the coolest data emerged when several Ivy League schools uh, did a study. And they actually did a study with middle school teachers and middle school students. The students had turned in a project or paper and the teachers were writing comments on it to see what would elicit more effort the next time around. And most students would say, that's as good as it's gonna get, you know, that sort of thing. That's probably what I said, you know? But here's the phrase, they experimented with lots of feedback phrases. The phrase that got the best effort, it was minimum of 40% more effort the next time around, up to 320% in males. Here was the statement. I'm giving you this feedback because I have high expectations of you and I know you can reach them. Mm. Isn't that powerful? So that's demanding and re responsive and demanding. It's velvet brick. It's tough and tender. And so I'm thinking parents, coaches, teachers, leaders, or if you're a young team member, you're going, I don't know what I'm doing. I've just started my career. I would say you need a leader that's going to be responsive to you, but demanding of you. We become the best version ourselves when those two things are in place. Whew. I uh, feel free to monopolize this conversation as much as you want. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. No, I need a velvet brick. Um, that, that's amazing. Now, can you talk to me about your new book? Um, yeah. I feel like that's, that's super relevant to what we're talking about, too. <laughs> well, it really is. So I have given now decades of my life, for better or worse, I've given decades of my life to um, studying the different generations that serve on any team, or for that matter, that are in any family. Um, so today's workplace has as many as five generations working in it. So Gen Z would be the most recent, you know, employee uh, on the team. But then you've got millennials, which we've talked about for 15 years now. you got Gen Xers who, who are one generation older. And then you got baby boomers. And then very oftentimes there's a person that's over 75, but they're still healthy. And, you know, they still want to mow the lawn or do handiwork around the office. Or maybe they own the company. Who knows? So the builders would be the oldest. They grew up during the Great Depression, World War II. Okay. In fact, they were called builders because they built so much out of so little. The baby boomers came next. And I've already mentioned they were called baby boomers because there was a boom of babies. 76.4 million people born in 18 years. 
the reason that was significant, I'm one of them, is because everybody wanted our eventual dollar. And so everybody paid attention to us growing up. We even grew up with a little bit of entitlement back in the 50s and 60s, as life was better after World War II. Then the Gen Xers come along. The first title that Gen X was given was Baby Buster. Mm -hmm. The reason they were first called Baby Busters, I just mentioned, is the birth control pill came out. So with contraceptive <laughs> and Roe v. Wade in 1973, you have a shrinking population, not a booming. So the Xers feel like they grew up in the shadows of the baby boomers who were stealing all the jobs and all the promotions and going through midlife crises together. You know, all that was going on back in the late 60s, all through the 70s. The 80s and 90s were basically millennials. And then you have Gen Z, which really Gen Z mostly just has a memory of the 21st century. You know, um, they, 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 they early in their life, September 11th, 2001, the terrorist attacks, the dot-com era bubble burst early on there. Um, there were scandals corporately with Enron, WorldCom, Tyco. The smartphone was released, which completely overwhelmed us. It was awesome and awful at the same time. Uh, mass shootings. Hampton, I don't know if you're keeping up, but what I think about kids today, um, there are there are more mass shootings in America than we have days in the year this year. Mm. It's just sad. So I was talking to some high school students recently that said, yeah, Dr. Tim, whenever we hear a loud pop in our school, we all duck because we're sure a gun's going off. Wow. And I'm thinking, I didn't have that feeling when I was in high school. We thought somebody shot a firecracker. We're all going to laugh about it, you know? So anyway, it's just a different day. And I would just say, if you're not a part of Gen Z and you're listening, we need to lead with empathy. It is a weird, funky, strange day that we're in. And we're going to have to lean in and start with responsive, not demanding. Sure, we need to get to grit. Of course we do. But you start with lead with compassion, end with grit. Lead with compassion, end with grit. So anyway, that now the youngest uh, generation, which rarely is anybody talking about, uh, is the alpha generation kids. So after Gen Z or Gen Z comes alpha, we're in the Greek alphabet, going back to A again. And these would be the young children in elementary school and younger that pretty much will think about it. If you're five years old, half your life has been a pandemic. You know, so your interpersonal <laughs> skills, your social skills are behind. You're not dumb. You just didn't have a chance to socialize, you know. So, again, lead with compassion and wisdom. Get to grit. Um, and so those, there are actually one, – one last comment before you volley back. There are actually seven generations alive right now for the first time in modern history. There's the senior generation that are in their 90s. Uh, my Uncle Gene and Aunt Wanda, believe it or not, are 99 and 97. Wow. And still driving a motor home in the streets of San Diego. It's just crazy right now. <laughs> but then you got the alpha generation. So you can just see the book that I did is all about being an encyclopedia. We've got to understand each other. The alpha gen and Gen Z are going to be very different than the builders and or boomers and builders and, and senior generation, not just because of age, although that's part of it, but because we grew up and were shaped in different times. Let's see the strength that each generation brings to the team and leverage it. So my goal in the book is not to stereotype, but to understand. And that's what I think our goal needs to be now. Yeah. That's so good. Not to stereotype, but to yeah. understand. Cause I know it's, it's really easy to just say, well, they need to, they need to work harder and we yeah. have to do this. Yeah. And I, I saw something the other day. I don't know if you would agree with this, but it, it seems like every generation thinks the one behind them 
had it easier and had it better yeah. and is super entitled, which maybe is true to an extent, but. <laughs> no, I think you're right. In fact, in the, uh, in the book, I even talk about this dating clear back to Socrates. It's happened. Socrates thought kids in his day were disrespectful to their parents and lazy. And I'm going, Oh my gosh, was this written last week? You know, but so <laughs> you're right. We always think kids today, kids today, what's going to, you know, the world's going to hell in a hat basket. <laughs> we, we do, they do grow and mature. But here's what I'm wanting. I'm wanting to see the older generation see themselves as mentors. Even before you have all the answers, you'll never have all the answers. Uh, one insight that I think is very crucial. My generation, the baby boomers who grew up in the 60s, were so anti-establishment. That was one of the phrases. Bob Dylan said, don't trust anybody over 30. You know, uh, question authority was the number one bumper sticker. So the baby boomers, when we were young, did not seek out mentors from the establishment, the, the older generations. We were anti that. And so we grew up without some of the coaching and mentoring that we could have and should have had. And now you see, pardon me, let me just get real here, maybe several presidential candidates that you go, I don't really like any of them. And it's not a cut to them. You're just going, you seem like a person that didn't have good mentoring growing up. And maybe that's true. So what I want to do is reconnect the generations. Younger listeners, you need to find mentors and say, just tell me what you've learned, what you've experienced. I'll eat the fish and spit out the bones because, you know, some of it may not be relevant to me. But then turn around immediately and begin to pour into the alphas, those kids that desperately need you to have a little bit of visibility on what a pandemic can do and how we can get stronger from it, not weaker from it. That's what I think our world desperately needs is the linking, the building a bridge rather than a wall between us. But far too often we just do walls and and we never really connect. So that's what I'm hoping to stop. Yeah, I, I cannot wait to read this book and send it to everyone I know, because I, I just the, the word unity keeps coming to mind. Like we yeah. need to be united together. We don't have to. I know it's like trendy on TikTok or whatever to like make fun of the older generations about how they don't get it and stuff. And. That's fine, but how can how can we learn from each other? Um, you know what we're doing in our office right now? We're calling it reverse mentoring. Learned the term from Jack Welch back 30 years ago. Reverse mentoring is when I'll meet with Andrew, who's 30 years younger than me, and we mentor each other. Wow. So we swap stories. You always find common ground as you swap stories. But I'll pour into him, here's how to succeed at this organization, Learned a few things since I started it, you know, 20 years ago. But then he'll point to me about the latest app he just got and how we can use it for marketing or something he's picked up. And we always laugh when we're together because we think, oh, my gosh, uh, I I call myself a mentor. I love it. I love yeah. it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm a mentor and an intern at the same time. So if we stay in the posture of curiosity and don't say, I got all the answers you need me to get, you know, that's that's nonsense. I think the young, younger generation are smarter than us in many ways, in categories. But then we've got wisdom. So every organization has modern elders and young geniuses. Uh, Chip Conley came up with that term. Think about modern elders in our 50s and 60s that probably have learned a few things. But then young geniuses that have intuition on where the world is going. If we can leverage that on a team... Man, who knows what? Who knows where we can go? So who knows? That's yeah. exciting. I, I 
cannot wait to talk more about this and everything. To, to close this out, can you talk to us about the idea um, uh, of Maxwell's like chess versus checkers? Yes. Yeah. So this is one of our habitudes, actually. Uh, chess versus checkers is um, one of our images about connecting with people. And I think it's so powerful when you talk about connecting with different generations, especially. So both of those games, chess and checkers, have the same game board, right? So you could be tempted to think, oh, it must be the same game. Not true. When I play checkers, all my pieces look alike. They all move alike. So I treat them all alike. In chess, I have to know what each piece can do to win that game, that a knight goes up two and over one, and a bishop, and a pawn, and a rook, and a king, and a queen. Only in knowing the strength of your piece can I win. Here's what I've come to believe. Mediocre leaders play checkers with their people. They treat them all alike, and they get average performance. Great leaders have learned to play chess in the relationships of their life. And those people flourish under the leadership because the leaders connect based on their personality, their strength, and their generation. So even talking to you, Hampton, I don't know exactly your age, but you kind of hinted that you're kind of zillennial, you know. I'm sure that I probably am wiser to, you know, word things in certain ways just to connect better. And, 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 and yet I'm not being disingenuous. I'm me. I'm an old guy, you know. But I think you're more receptive, and then I'm more receptive to when I understand, oh, you might use terminology or customs or whatever. In fact, it really, for many, feels like a cross-cultural relationship. If you fly over to China and you get there, you're going to automatically know, I'm going to have to work harder to connect with people because they have different language, different customs, different values. Bingo. When I talk to a Gen Z, probably different language, different customs, different values. And so when we do the work, and that's what it requires to do the work, uh, we're going to be able to connect better with each other and get the most out of each other. Yeah. Uh, I love that. That's great. I mean, lead lead everybody different, right? Um, it's true. Thank you for sharing that. And I think for, for our younger listeners, I, I from the, uh, I don't want to, older folks I've talked to, I think that you will stand out in an extremely positive way if you just have conversations with people that are older than you and you're curious and you learn from them because most people aren't doing that. Maybe it's, maybe they don't care. Maybe they're awkward and, and, and aren't comfortable having that sort of conversation. So just ask questions. And then I think to our older generation, just be, be empathetic and, and learn and everything. So, um, I, I could go on for hours and hours more with you, but want to be mindful of time. Where where can people find you and, and learn more about you? Yeah. Well, the organization I lead is simply called Growing Leaders. Growingleaders.com is the great site to find us. Also, timelmore.com it's, that, uh, is my work. And you can find the new book there. Uh, the book we talk about today is A New Kind of Diversity. So, um, in fact, if you went to the site, newdiversitybook.com, you'll get a free assessment where you can assess yourself on how, how good am I at connecting with boomers, Gen Z, Xers, millennials. So um, it's called the GQ, the generational quotient. But newdiversitybook.com is where the book is, and that might be the best place to start um, at the beginning. Yeah. So thanks for asking, Hampton. Absolutely. It. Well, um, the second I get off this, I'm going to order that book right now and reading it all in one sitting. So thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Tim. My pleasure. Great to be with you. All right, folks. I told you Dr. Tim Elmore is the real deal. Five action steps for you. Number one, your phone should be a servant, not a master. Two, make your goal to understand other generations, not judge them. Three, slow is good. 
Heart is good. Boredom is good. Risk is good. Labor is good. Number four, FOMU, fear of messing up. If you live your whole life in fear of failure, you're probably not going to grow very much. I don't think we were meant for a safe, boring, mediocre life. And number five, read Dr. Tim Elmore's new book, A New Kind of Diversity. I'll see you next week. Thank you.